Welcome to Politicking with Jason Whitlock, hosted by Curtis Schoon. Good morning, Jason. How are you? Awesome. Wonderful day here in Nashville. Wonderful Tuesday. I actually, uh, last night, Curtis, I went on stage at a comedy club last night uh -oh. here in, uh, in Nashville uh, and, and did about three or four minutes of a stand-up routine that I'm going to continue to perfect. Get the fuck out of here, man. Are you nah, serious? Yeah. No, I'm dead. I Did they throw tomatoes at you, man? Tell the truth, no, man. No, no. I've Look, man, these people here in Nashville, man, have been awesome to me. And some guys that are based here control about 60% of the stand-up and improvisational clubs across the country. Wow. And they actually live here. And so they work with everybody from Chris Rock on down, Chappelle, everybody. And so uh, they befriended me and just giving me an open door, green light to use their facilities. Uh, and Monday is new material night. And so th there's this Asian comedian named Steve Byrne. I think he's Asian and Irish. And he had me come on stage with him at the end of his set. And so I'm working on some shit that'll probably get me in trouble eventually because <laughs> it's pretty raw. So you you, you got the bug, huh? the comedic yeah. bug. Yeah. Dave yeah. Chappelle, look out. Here comes Jason Whitlock. Sure. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Oh, and man. ain't scared. I ain't scared. <laughs> we know Big Smokey ain't scared. We know, <laughs> we know Big Smokey ain't scared. Uh, all right, man. A lot's been going on in the last week. Um, one of the most, what I consider saddest things, tr most tragic because it involved children and, and, and um, a callous, reckless loss of life is the, the DC carjacking where a 13 year old girl and a 15 year old girl, uh, they carjacked a uh, Uber driver or Uber Eats or something, something to do with Uber. But they, they commandeered his vehicle after hitting him with a, a taser or something. They drove off and the man held on to the vehicle. They crashed the vehicle and were, were detained by the National Guard who were in the vicinity. And it, this, this, it speaks to so much that's wrong. And none of it knew. But what, what do we do about things like this? And how, where do you think it, it starts? Uh, when, and again, I haven't read up, and I don't know how much has been written about these two uh, young girls. But my guess would be they don't come from a nuclear family. That would be my guess. My guess as well. And, uh, you know, the breakdown of family the, in the black community is the biggest crisis uh, going on with black people uh, in America. Uh, probably the biggest crisis since slavery. I, I would say 
<clears throat> we would be better off with Jim Crow and segregation and intact families than we would be no Jim Crow and segregation and this baby mama uh, culture that we have going on. And so it's the biggest crisis for black people since slavery. And I might even go further and just say, if you, this may be the biggest crisis black people have faced in America, period. Because uh, when you, for me as a Christian, and as someone uh, who believes if there is no uh, family structure, no religious structure, that cycle that God intended, God, man, woman, that cycle is broken. Uh, you got no shot. And uh, we are focused on our relationship with uh, white police officers and white people we're obsessed with our relationship with white people. And that's the key to black salvation. If we could just get along with white people and if white people just loved us, everything would be better for us. It's a really effed up mentality because we can't get along with each other. And until that's fixed, there will be no sustainable progress uh, and, and if you just look at the chaos in the black community, it all has, to me, gotten worse as the black family has been totally decimated and destroyed. You can't build neighborhoods, you can't build community if there's no family structure. Yeah, there's definitely a cultural deficiency that no one is addressing. I, I think the fixation with white people, white supremacy in these things, it, 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 it serves as a distraction from the immediate problems that um, that need to be fixed. I believe if we had strong communities and the, the, the foundation of a strong community is a strong family. If you have strong families, families living together, there's your strong community. You would see a dramatic decrease, decline in police issues, interactions with uh with our youth and so on. But see, that requires work and that requires things that quite frankly, a lot of people just aren't willing to do. They rather the world bend to them than they just adapt to what works in the world. And that never, that never, that never happens. These young girls, I don't know, they, they didn't name them because they're minors, but I wouldn't be surprised if the, the mothers of these girls are somewhere in the range of 30 to 32 years old, which means that they're, they're pretty much, when you're talking about people who lack any culture, direction, and what have you, 30 to 32, they're, they're pretty much kids themselves mentally. They're clubbing, they're following all the trends, they're doing the TikTok dances and all this nonsense. And these, these young girls, they, they were more than likely if not them specifically, but there are kids just like them who are exposed to this kind of negative programming from the womb. And you just can't talk about police and white supremacy to address that. 
and no one wants to does it. And it seems like the preachers and everyone else have abandoned what, what traditionally has worked for us, which, as you pointed out, is the nuclear family in the name of, I don't know, cloud chasing or butter biscuits. I, 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 I don't know, man. It's just sad. Political donations. Yeah, that's the butter biscuits. Big time. These people are these people are ideological whores. For the, for money, they will abandon common sense and perpetuate all kinds of self-destructive nonsense in the name of being pro-black. And, and and somebody has to call them out. This isn't even for me. It's not even like a um, a Republican or Democrat conversation. This is common sense and survival. You you even willing to do what it takes to survive, or you succumb to your own nonsense. And that's just that's just how it is. Curtis, we live in a society in in a public discourse culture where we've been led to believe that every syllable that comes out of a white person's mouth has direct impact on the success or failure, happiness, emotions of a black person. And so what I mean by that is we will focus incredible attention on a cold word uttered by a white person, uh, you know, something we've labeled a cold word or, or something. Well, that, he said the word boy, and that's what he really meant was this. And thug is the new N-word. And so when he said thug and blah, 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 and this must be stopped. And so any syllable by a white person is a threat to damage Black people. But anything we say has no uh, impact on Black people. And, and my point is, when I looked at a 13 and 15-year-old girls in particular, and I'm sorry, and maybe it makes me sexist, but when I look at them and go, they out carjacking. But where is that energy coming from uh, for young girls that we're going to go out and do something violent and take on a man with a taser and carjack him. And, and, and I'll, and I'm not, and people's heads are going to explode when I say this and they're going to get all defensive, but it's just Cardi B's career has been built off the fact that she has bragged about robbing men. That That's part of her platform is that's how she started out, robbing men, sexually gaming men, drugging them and taking their money and rolling them for money. And Cardi B's not just some random white person with no platform or no following. She's at the top. She interviewed Joe Biden. Twice. <laughs> She's, I don't know how many social media followers she has. She's the Grammys just had her on and, you know, her song WAP allegedly is about uh, empowering women. And so I'm like, where are young girls getting this energy to like, uh, they're going, they're Clyde just looking for their Bonnie or, or, or their Bonnie looking for their Clyde. I'm sorry. They're, they're Bonnie looking for their, their Bonnie. 
That's really yeah. what they're <laughs> Thelma and Louise. That's who they yeah. are, bro. Well, Look, there you, you know. go. And 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 so I, I'm just like, we we are setting examples for our kids. And again, when you have a breakdown of family and and all of this idolatry that we have and and what groupie shit at the end of the day. The Bible calls it idolatry. I call it groupie shit. We've created this groupie culture. We worship Cardi B, LeBron James, and whoever else the zeitgeist tells us to. And it's just like, what example are they setting? And, and what message are, are they sending to our young people? Because I believe they certainly are picking up on it. When, when I hear that a 13 and 15-year-old girls are out carjacking i'm i'm just like wow they're getting it somewhere and they're not getting it from the home because there is no home or no uh no structural sound, home yeah. structural home mm -hmm. and so i just that's where my mind my first thought was wow 13 and 15 year old girls this dangerous that they out trying to jack grown men and uh you know <laughs> it's funny i mean we obviously know that if 13 and a 15 year old white boy had done this to anybody that's not white we, we would hear about a culture of white supremacy and kkk and all that yeah yeah and, and and but we will not hear about a popular culture of black degeneracy. And that's what we have created. We have co-signed and it, trust me, I don't believe actually that we created it. I believe it was created for us by the puppet masters in Hollywood and the music industry, but we have co-signed for it and claimed it as our own. Like anything racist, we will claim and say, nigga, oh, we claim that. Racist white people invented that and we have claimed it as our own. It's one of our most pride, prized possessions. The ability to say the N word, wherever the hell we damn well, please call each other that. We Racist created the one drop rule. You got one drop of black blood, therefore you're black. We've claimed that. It, it, it does. Colin Kaepernick, it, you know, ain't really connected to the black community, but Not because he allegedly has one, allegedly has one drop of black blood, because we haven't seen this a daddy. Uh, we, we well, that's what makes him black. And, and <laughs> according to these people, if you don't know who your father is, like Sean King or Colin Kaepernick, yeah. hey man, you're black. <laughs> yeah. And, so, and uh, Sean King knows exactly who his daddy is, but I hear you. Uh, but but I, I just, we have adopted every racist ideology, claimed it as our own, and black culture, this or this alleged black culture. And again, black Twitter, we've adopted that. That's one of our most prized possessions. That came straight out of Silicon Valley. I guarantee you what, no black people in the room, when they say, we go, gonna call this shit black twitter and watch these niggas go for it <laughs> and, and we did because that's what we do oh man 
But listen, man, a uh, couple things. When you were talking about the sensitivity to words, um, the obsession with words that come from white people, I remember when Ross Perot was running for president, and that's a little while back, so I'm showing my age, but he said, you people, and there was a yes. big uproar about it. You know, and it's like, you, you, you know, they, they're always waiting for this aha moment to pounce and prove that you're a racist and put you on the defense. And if that much energy was put into actually building up a solid community and family, we might be in a, in a, in a lot better shape. And these young girls, uh, even with this crime, people sought to politicize it because at first they were claiming an Asian Uber driver was attacked and killed. So technically, yes, the man is from Pakistan, but his name is Mohammed Anwar, and he looks very white. He doesn't look Asian. And, and I, I, you know, they're all over the place with it because most, if I'm not mistaken, the emphasis on Asians being attacked was supposed to be proof of some kind of um, fallout from Trump vilifying China and mm -hmm. the COVID-19 vaccine. If you're from Pakistan, yes, you're from Asia, but you damn sure don't look like you're from China. You see what I'm saying? Like, and, and They're just all over the place connecting dots that don't connect. And, and, and it's really sad and really stupid people. Let's call it what it is. The most I'm not sure if they're stupid. I think they're calculated. No, I'm talking about the people who fall for that, who buy into gotcha. it. They're stupid. They're dumb as hell, man. Like, and and and, and they they are there. They're they're like the mindless sheep that will go for any kind of machination these people come up with to steer them in a certain direction and promote a narrative. And when I see people who are like, uh, I don't, you know some of the, the black quote-unquote leaders and activists, I'm wondering, are they dumb or are they in on it? Uh, because this stuff, if you're a thinking person, you cannot accept this as the norm. And last but not least with these girls, my guess is they're probably going to do at least 15 to 20 years in prison, right? Mm, I'm not sure. Well, D.C., it doesn't have like state laws. It's all under federal guidelines. And what the about Fed, the fact that they're minors? That man, do you know when you get sentenced under the feds in the states, right? They seal your juvenile record. The feds don't do that. They look at your whole record, man. Like, I think they're going to get punished bad. I think they're going to get 15 to 20 at minimum. And when it's all said and done, that doesn't mean they'll serve that time. They'll get the well, hold on. I thought fed time, don't you serve 85%? Well, listen. Uh, that's where I'm coming. Uh, they, they may not serve all of their time because I'm sure there's going to be a whole lot of celebrities championing their causes. Like the, the, the little girl in Nashville there, Sintoya Sin Brown, who killed the, the, uh, the John and took his gun. And man, Rihanna and Kim Kardashian and everybody else got behind her. She got out after 15 years. She killed the man while he was sleeping, took his vehicle, his guns, all of that. And she blamed it on a pimp named Cutthroat. She's a celebrity. Book deals, documentaries, and they cut her sentence short. 
And the same thing will happen for these little girls. After about 15, 20 years, if they're not already out, somebody's going to fight for them to get out. And I'm not saying that they deserve to be in there forever. I'm not even speaking on the sentence. I just want to know why is so much energy and effort put into people in the community who do the wrong thing? Where is that level of commitment and energy for all the girls and boys who are doing the right thing, staying out of trouble, and who are subjected to the same influences but are persevering through it? What, what kind of message are we sending to our kids and to, to the world? I totally agree. And, you know, the trial of Derek Chauvin, the George Floyd trial, another example of just like... I hold, saw, hold, hold up, Jason. Be careful now. George Floyd is not on trial. Let's not call it the George Floyd trial because you know they'll come for us for that. Okay, look. Uh, it ahead. is what it is. <laughs> yes. This trial is about George Floyd. Yes, uh, and everybody knows it. And that's where all the interest is, is coming from. And I saw, because I very rarely watch television. Very rare, But the trial started yesterday. And I and so I tuned in just for just, I, I was like, I got to see how the media is here. I turned on CNN. And I heard, I think it was Jack Tapper, I think, or it was Jim Acosta. I, I don't watch enough to know who's who. But this dude was basically saying that this was the most important trial. Or no, maybe it was Van Jones. Van Jones oh, being interviewed by one of the hosts at CNN. Not that and, loser, please. And he was calling it the most important trial for Black people since... I, I don't know when, I don't know what his reference point was. And I was just like, really? The death of George Floyd is that important to black people? Have we really been that bamboozled that like, cause literally it's like this is George Floyd. His death is right there neck and neck with Martin Luther King Jr's neck, uh, death in terms of importance and what our emotional reaction. And I was like, who has rigged us up this way that we could react to George Floyd's death and what happens in the criminal justice system as if he were Martin Luther King. And look, all human life is equal. All human deeds are not. And George Floyd's deeds on this earth, I'm just sorry, they don't amount to shit. Now I'm just sorry, his deeds, Ooh. they don't amount to we, shit. We're in trouble today, Jason. Well, it's just factual. <laughs> the man put a gun to a pregnant black woman's stomach in a home invasion. That's just fact, that's deeds. And again, we all have deeds. We all have a resume and, uh, and look, man, my cousin, Anton Butler, who was killed by police in Indianapolis, he did not have a strong resume. I love the dude, but he did not have a strong resume. Not all of it's his fault. He's a victim of some circumstances outside his control. No question about it. 
if they tried to put my cousin on the platform they put George Floyd on, I would object. <laughs> hey, man, this is my cousin. I helped raise him. I love the dude. But he's not MLK. He, he's, we can't be building statues and monuments uh, to people with resumes that are lacking like this. I agree. We got to set higher standards for, for young people. We have to take uh, being a victim of white violence can't be the highest form of black humanity. Or accomplishment, because that's Accom what it's yeah. seeming like, you know, yeah. like, yeah. And, and there are black people out here doing big things, and there's always been the case. Like, you go all the way back through American history, major contributions to this country. Being a victim, being a slave was not the highest accomplishment. You can go all the way back to 1619, the beginning of this. We were making major contributions to America, but we don't want to focus on that. We want to focus on the victims of alleged white supremacy. And, you know, and then we'll even, I, what you are right about with these two young girls is at some point, their story of victimization will trump the deed that they just committed uh, and, and look, and I'm sure they are victims of the broken black family structure. I tend to think, you know, look, maybe they were raised by the Huxtables and they, they came out of I doubt suburbs. It. And they, I, I tend to doubt it as well. Uh, but, but at some point, their story of victimhood will trump the deed. And that, that's where you are right, that some celebrity will work to spring them from the consequences of these deeds by arguing that their victimhood supersedes the deed that they just were caught on tape doing. When you saw, you, when you saw Van Jones on TV, was he crying? Because that's how I'm accustomed to seeing him. <laughs> He's always goddamn crying. I mean, no one has done more to diminish the value of a Yale law degree than Van Jones. How do you graduate from Yale with a law degree and then go work for Jay-Z? the crack dealer from Marcy Projects. I mean, he should be ashamed. I'm not surprised his wife left him. I'd have left his ass too. <laughs> I'm not, look, when I see Van, what I tend to think of, and it's what it was delivered, is like he's doing a Twitter performance. He's doing something built for social media response. And, uh, this man that. is highly educated. He, he didn't need to go to Yale to do that. I, what the hell is going on out here? He's I, on the same level with activist rappers who have no education, maybe a GED. Did he waste his time at Yale? What, what the hell is going on? Do what happens, there, there's, a, there's a guilt trip because we we don't manage our own culture. We don't take control of it. Uh, white liberals are in control of our culture. And so there's a price that got smart, really intelligent guys like Van Jones pay for not speak, uh, for not fitting the ghetto standard. 
for not being hood enough. And so th- they have a guilt conscience. He has a guilt conscience about how nerdy he sounds, how nerdy his interests are. I'm sure he has a guilt conscience, and, and I'm sorry, I'm not even I'm not denigrating the man, but I'm speaking, I'm not speculating. Marrying that white woman makes him feel guilty. And I know they're divorced now, but it makes him feel like he sold out Black America. And so he's spending the rest of his life trying to apologize to Black America for being married to that white woman and not fitting the stereotypes of the Black culture that's been prescribed for us. And so he goes on TV and says shit to make himself and make social media make him make himself feel blacker and for make social media uh, believe that he's, you know, despite the white wife and half African American kids, I, I'm really Malcolm X and Betty Shabazz. And you, you're giving this guy and these people too much credit, man. I think they're just lazy, duplicitous, and they're out here trying to get a dollar the easiest way they know how. They've been stared, and I, and again, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna diagnose them. My diagnosis. They they've done everything the quote unquote system told them to do, and they didn't get the access that they believed they should have gotten. So they went in, they went in this lane, this activism lane, to use their credentials to rise to the top real fast. And they are willing tools in all of this. And it's because they don't have the balls to go out there and and create whatever it is that they thought they were supposed to be a part of on their own. My 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 partner in, in Detroit, Dutchie and I, we 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 have this saying, and I, I hope no one gets offended, but we are, really I don't care. Everybody's trying to run white boy plays, right? They sit around and they watch what other people do. And they tell themselves, you know what? I could do that too. But all they see is the end result. They don't see the process, the journey to get there. They don't know the behind the scenes relationships of what's going on. So they go get these degrees or they go to these, these, these nice schools or whatever. But something's missing. You're not part of the same network that a lot of these people are a part of. You know, it's, it's very hard to create something and, and, and build something from little to nothing. A lot of these successful people, we're talking about generational wealth. It's bigger than they got a degree in school. Their parents got a degree. Their grandparents got a degree. It's, it's like, it's a, it's a lot that goes into this type of generational success that I think a lot of black people don't really understand. So they I think, think you what, may have contradicted yourself a little bit, Curtis. Okay, don't lose your point. No, but no. I, but but listen, I think when they go when they go to school and they get the degrees or whatever, they think they are entitled to certain things just based on their education. And my real point is that that success that they associate with just the education alone usually involves a lot of other factors that they don't have. I think Van Jones and a lot of these other people, these the Tamika Mallory's and all these other people, I think that they've decided to go in the lane that is easiest for them because 
they are paid by people to perpetuate some kind of falsehood or misdirection to unsuspected and less educated black folk. I think the success that they really want, it requires commitment and sacrifice, and they're just not willing to do it. So just, just, I don't have the percentages, but I think this is true about America. I've read it previously that most millionaires in America are self-made. They didn't inherit their wealth. I, certainly there are advantages to being born into wealth and having it passed down to you. But I think America creates more new millionaires and blah, blah, than any place else in the world. And I think the highest percentage of people that are millionaires come from nothing and, and, and make it. Where I think you're right is but that, that didn't contradict what I said, though. But well, hold on. on. Let me make my, let yeah, me make my yeah, second look, point, mm -hmm. uh, which you just... Oh, Van Jones, I've met and know black okay. people like Van Jones who, who's, who feel like, you know, I did everything America told me to do. Yes. I talked the way they told me to talk. Mm -hmm. I studied at their schools and universities. I got put in this private high school and I went to this college and got this degree and the payoff is supposed to be enormous. <laughs> like, wow. Yes. I, and so and they do feel entitled. Yes. But 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 here's what it is about people that make fortunes in America that come from modest backgrounds. They got a big pair of balls, man. You're and looking they, at one, bro. You yeah, understand? They, Look, they take risks that no one else will take. No, and 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 they're fearless in their approach, and so these guys have actually gone a very safe route. Thank you. Very, and, and and I'm not knocking them for it. In terms of following the rules, get the education, but don't get angry that the payoff isn't what you expected. The payoff for that plan you went through might get you a job that pays you 150. 300,000 dollars yeah. a year. Mm -hmm. Don't get angry because you're not a millionaire because you haven't had the balls to do what millionaires do, take those risks. Amen, uh, bro. And so that to me, when I look at Van Jones, he played by all the rules. He went to the right high school. He went to the right college. Uh, in his mind, he married the right white woman. Yeah, I think and, she's Jimmy Carter's granddaughter or something like that. Yeah, yeah. and all that. And and he's like, he's up. He he's up. Look at Jay Z. Jay Z is a billionaire or whatever he's worth, five hundred million, whatever it is. He's actually the shot caller. And then they reach an age where they just lay down for Jay-Z instead of being like, I'm smarter than him. I just need his balls. I just need to take his risk. I just need to be willing you to should start rapping. Well, build something, create something, build something, create something of your own. Instead, uh, he's laid down and 
he and, works for Jay Z now, and he's frustrated by it. And that's 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 what I was getting at, man. Like, I I definitely believe that most millionaires are self made, and you have to have balls. But I think a lot of people in our community, because we've been told the importance of education, and I think education is important. Let me say that I'm not a college graduate, but both of my kids are. My daughter's an attorney. Uh, my son, he got he he's good to go. I emphasize education because no matter what your struggles are, if you have an education, if you have those qualifications, it can help you. It gives you options, options that I didn't have. I had to have balls because I didn't have much else. Well, I had brains too, but I, I think for a lot of people, when they get those degrees, they assume that the world owes them something. See, I'm an employee, right? And like I said, I don't even have a college degree, but I've interviewed people with PhDs and everything, man. And it made me it, it made me look at education somewhat differently. Not that it lost any value in my eye, but it made it clear to me that to be successful in this world, you needed not just an education, but you needed to be able to apply that education in some kind of way and take some kind of risk to change your status and get to the next level. It's part of the solution, but it, it doesn't do it all for you. And I think a lot more of us need to understand that so we wouldn't have these false expectations and then become bitter and, 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 and you know disappointed when it doesn't work out the way we thought because we didn't really understand what was required. Totally agree. I, 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 we talked about this a little bit last week, but, you know, my father didn't graduate high school, but big pair of balls. Uh, and when he got tired of being a factory worker and dealing with a supervisor he didn't respect and a supervisor wanted to tell him some things that he disagreed with. My father had the balls to be like, I'm going to start my own business and I'm going to do something for me that allows me to be the boss and I only answer to me. And that, when, when I go look at me and my brother, uh, that's the biggest impact he had on us. He, he passed on his big pair of balls to me and my brother. And I, I look at my brother, who's a supervisor uh, at Ford Motor Company, but has always side hustled his entire life. Him and his wife are go-getters. And they done bought a bunch of apartments and just, they've always just side hustled. <laughs> like they always gonna have their own thing. His wife, her father, was a go-getter, just like my father. Wasn't the most educated person, but always had his own business that he passed on to his sons and stuff like that. And so when I look at what's missing with us, it's them big balls, man, that a father gives you. And, uh, you know, Van Jones, any of these guys, all these emasculated dudes that they put out there as 
the perfect spokesman because they got this degree and that degree and they've been assimilated in a perfect way. What's, what's just missing men with balls. And uh, anytime anybody stands up and says that, hey man, we don't need to obsess about white people. We can do this ourselves. That person's going to get attacked. Yes. That person's going to be called a sellout. And how dare you not? Because again, the blackest thing you can do in modern American culture is say that white people are responsible for your salvation. And we must hold white people accountable for ourselves. That's the blackest thing you can do. If you actually say like, no, 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 we need to be responsible for ourselves and we can be responsible for ourselves. You're a sellout, Uncle Tom. And, you know, don't unworthy of a platform to discuss any of this stuff publicly. And, and as black people, we go for it. Look, There's a whole system designed to just like emasculate us as black men. Speaking of emasculated eunuchs, what, what are your thoughts on this little Nas X video? This song he has, Montero, uh, Call Me By My Name. This song has had over 42 million views in four days. So as bad as Lil Nas is, what does it say about the people who find this stuff entertaining? I watched the video this morning, and to be honest with you, it made me uncomfortable watching it. And I watched it without the audio because I didn't even want whatever he was talking about to enter my psyche. That's how toxic I thought all of this was. A whole lot of homoeroticism, demonic nonsense. Ah, how is this entertainment? What's really happening here, man? And why? Why are black people so eager to be the the face of other people's deviancy and and and, and wickedness? So I'm almost I I got a lot to say. This may Go take ahead, several it's, cracks. Do it, do your thing. Several man. advance. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Again, I'm, I'm, First and foremost, I just want your reaction to this. I think it's a positive what little Nas has done. And I say that because I believe satanic forces have been at work in the pop culture, music industry for a long time. Very long time. And we need people like little Nas to come out of the closet and be like, hey, I'm down with this Satan shit. We need that. And because I can deal with that. He, he's put his cards on the table and now parents have no excuse. We know exactly what he's about. We know as black people, we know exactly what he's about. As Christians take race out of it, we know exactly what he's about. And we can now distance ourselves from it, if we so choose. Those that are down with that can embrace it and it can get 42 million views in the next week. And we'll, and all the people that love it will know exactly what they're about. 
That type of honesty and transparency is what we need so people can make decisions. What has been going on, I've been guilty of it. Uh, we, people gonna hate me, but it's just factual. Go, I love go when study, you start like that. Go ahead. <laughs> go study Tupac's music. Go, mm -hmm. go study Dr. Dre's music. It's satanic. Go, go study most of the gangster celebration of gang culture, Crips, Bloods, all of that is coming from a satanic place. Period. End of story. We've all baked it into... Dr. Dre is probably my favorite other than the group Jodeci, is probably my favorite musical artist. And so I'm guilty. I, I have fallen into their trap. But if you go watch their music, and just like I watched Dre and Ice Cube's Natural Born's Killer video mm -hmm. yesterday, just to refresh my memory. I, anybody go watch it. It's say they're basically sitting in hell celebrating death, culture, and death. Dr. Dre and Ice Cube. People, I, I've got to, I have for years, love the song, but it's satanic, period, end of story. Much of the garbage that has been promoted is coming from a satanic place, but no one ever comes out of the closet and says, that's what it is. I respect Little Nas. He's got bigger balls than all these other rappers. Pause. He's told us. He's told us exactly who he is. I wish the rest of them would tell us exactly who they are and what they did to make the money that they've made, so we can all know exactly what we're consuming and 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 deal with it. For too long, we haven't had to deal with it. I respect little Nas for coming out of the closet. Satan works for he taking a stripper pole down to give the devil a lap dance, have sex with the devil. Hats off to you, little Nas. I'll never consume anything else you put out. <clears throat> and and the fact that he's done this has made me, I got to deal with the rest. There's a bunch of satanic music in my Apple music. All this gangster, I don't want to deal with anymore. This is why I've just been listening to classic, old school R&B. And who knows, maybe it's got satanic messaging in it too. Who the hell knows? But it ain't, ain't blatant. This, it yeah. ain't blatant. It ain't this corrosive and toxic. Uh, so I, I, I'm not joking. My respect for little Nas X has actually elevated. I, I think this is a positive step. Look, man, when I look at little Nas X, there's nothing but contempt. I look in his face and I see a weak, broken black man, the kind of black man that makes people who mean, mean us no good comfortable. He's CJ Memphis times 1,000. You seen the soldier story? Of course. Great yeah. movie. Oh man. He he is horrible, man. I see nothing but weakness in that man's face. And and you know what? Totally disagree, man. Oh man, I, I see nothing but weakness. 
someone who just couldn't stand up and be a man. So they were willing to be anything else. In that video, at the very end of the video, I guess he sexually seduced and overpowered Satan himself, broke Satan's neck, and then took the horns off and put it on his head. And, you know, it was almost like a, a, a woman who conquered a man. There was the, the imagery and all of that was just, I was like, look at this bitch. I, I just, look, man, I, nothing but contempt for me, man. But you can, you can feel free to respect what he does and his honesty. I think he's just pathetic. Let me tell you why I, I want to just go over again why I respect it, the, the honesty of it. If you go listen to like, and maybe you're a couple years older than me, and so maybe the whole rap thing just was never your thing. But Oh, it was absolutely listen. my thing from the very beginning when it was on cassette tapes gotcha. from the All parks. Right. Yeah, go ahead. Look. So, death Row Music. Suge Knight and, and all that blood, Crips, blah, blah. It, it, it normalized prison values and prison sexuality. Anybody, and I can only say this because Suge's in jail and he can't reach out and touch me, but Suge Knight was notorious while free for violating men sexually while free. That was his way of mental domination. And if you go listen to Death Row's music, Snoop, all these dudes at some point would talk about sticking their penises in other men's mouths. Again, that prison mentality of, and, and doggy style, the whole thing, it's, it's all about instilling a prison code of sexuality and domination and rape and uh, just perversion. And I, I'm telling Little Nas is owning that and saying that's what I'm about. Should and that whole group, they never had them kind of balls to say. When, when, uh, they tried thug life. Tupac tried to turn it into some kind of positive, and it wasn't. It's some kind of liberating. Blah blah. The hate you give uh, little people infects everybody, or something like that. I, I forget, but it was just deception to instill a demonic culture with it and branded as black and to popularize it and to popular baby mama culture, the destruction of family, all these guys that won't do, won't be as honest as little Nas X about who they are and what they will co-sign for. They all pretending like they're not little Nas. They are. And they do all the same things that little Nas does, all of it but won't cop to it. They do all the same things that little Nas does. <laughs> I just want to be clear, but won't cop to it. And you arguing little Nas is weak? 
and I'm looking at some real weak MFs that won't cop to it. They do all the same things that you saw in that video, Montero, that little Nas does, but won't cop to it. Look, man, uh, the, the, uh, the analysis about the promotion of prison culture in the music is it, is is spot on. Um, but that that kind of took place for for me. It, it's it's different because that was kind of like regional. That was like a L.A. gang thing. I don't know what their culture is in prison. I do know in New York where I'm from, where hip hop is from. Around around 1980, the prison culture started to change in New York with the popularity of what's called the 5% nation. And homosexual activity was frowned upon even in prison. In New York, I don't know what's going on in Cali or other states, but they have conjugal visits. So you can have sex, you get trailer visits every 90 days or something like that. If you're married in prison, they allow you to to be intimate with your wife and you get a trailer and all that stuff. So really, from my understanding, because I've never done time in prison, I've spent maybe a week or two in jail, but I've never done time in prison. From my understanding, in the prison culture, being the aggressor didn't make you gay. Right? Being the aggressor. And now, me overeating doesn't make look, you look, gay. Look, look, but, really- but listen, <laughs> but, but in 1980, when, yeah. when, when it shifted, the attitude was uh, if you pitch, you'll catch, and if you shuffle, you'll deal. You understand what I'm saying? So, so, so they started moving away from that. The older cats, like when people talk about being in prison in the 60s and 50s and even 70s, oh yeah, that was very much part of the of the culture. Um, you're 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 hyper masculine. You're so masculine that you make another man your woman. You know what I mean? And it's a psychological thing and it's a power thing. So yeah, that spilled over. You know, I don't know what's going on in every state. I don't even know what's going on in New York State right now because I'm not in those circles anymore, right? But uh, it it varies from state to state. But nonetheless, those guys that you're talking about with Suge, Suge violated a a man um, that I knew from the Bronx. He had a bandula record. He went by the name of Bugs at a death row Christmas party. And he did it at the behest of Tupac, who you also mentioned, because Bugs was from the Bronx and he was doing promotions with death row and they were doing good business. But when Pac saw him in LA at the party, he claimed that Bugs was part of uh, um, Puff Daddy's crew and they had their, their ignorant East Coast, West Coast thing going on. They took Bugs into the bathroom and they violated him. What they did to him specifically, I don't know. But there was a court settlement and anybody could look it up. And um, and it was because Tupac initiated that. You know what I mean? Like, like when people talk about Pac and these rappers and all that, they don't really know who these people are. But again, Jason, the fans of Death Row Records of Tupac and even the fans of Little Nas, right? They fall into this category that they just 
simple-minded, non-thinking, go-along-to-get-along type people. And that goes back to what we talked about earlier with uh, um, no home, no foundation at home, no kind of direction, no role models. And then they have all these frauds, these deviants and miscreants who are celebrated because they have money and they follow behind them. I think Little Nas has taken it a few steps further. Not only is he perpetuating um, self-destructive behavior, he's taking it to open, open Satanism. Whereas before, you know, one of the funniest things was people in the music business would indulge in all sorts of things behind closed doors, but when they win their award, they would say, I'd like to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know what I mean? Like, so now in that, re in that regard, yeah, you have a point. Because now I guess they'll talk about, I want to thank Belzebub or whatever <laughs> you look. I, I don't know what's going on. It's all crazy. And it, it, it's just, to me, Little Nas is the pinnacle of what entertainment has been for Black people all along. A willingness to comply and accept standards and values for the sake of financial um, benefit. The other thing I don't want us to miss here is that Little Nas has acknowledged openly his career, his music has been directed at kids. His yes. base, his audience, yes. kids. And <clears throat> trust me, all of this music, Cardi B directed at kids. All of this music is directed at kids. And this is where I'm just, you build this audience of kids and then you come in with this satanic message and I just look at us as the black community and first and foremost I look at us as black men are we you know I'm gonna take race out of it because because uh, it's directed at white kids as well oh yeah and so I, I just want to say to men in general why are we tolerating this? These are our seeds that they're directing these satanic messages at, that they are trying to make kids make decisions that are better left to adults. And, and, and what I mean by that is like, they trying to make six, seven and eight year olds decide their sexuality and what kind of surgeries they want to have and all this uh, six, seven, eight-year-olds. And this is all part of a concerted effort or organized effort to reach your kids through these false idols and influencers and then to get your kids and set up a society where kids can make decisions, lifelong decisions. I'm going to cut this and that off because I feel this and that way. It, it, it's as men, why are we tolerating this? And, and I go back to a point I've made many, many times over the years. Little Nas X 
is a fly on an elephant's ass compared to Michael Jackson. Compared to mm. Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson is perhaps the greatest force in the history of music. And when he tried to use the word kike in a song, not to denigrate Jewish people, but he tried to, they shut him down and said, no, no, that will not happen. But little Nas can take a stripper pole to have sex with the devil and no one says no. No one says, hey man, we're not making money that way. He got more power than Michael Jackson? Look, I'll give you one better, man. Uh, In the song All About the Benjamins, I believe it was Little Kim, say we stack chips like Hebrews. Yo, that had to get edited out the song. The word Hebrew. Forget kike. Hebrew. You couldn't say we stack chips like Hebrew. Hebrews meaning we make money like Hebrews because somebody took offense to that. And that was not allowed to be played anymore on the radio. So you are correct. If we make enough of a stink and they understand that we understand how we're being disrespected and violated, adjustments will have to be made. And and, and the people you got to look at are Lucian Grange, his son Elliot Grange with uh, Takashi 69, Leo Cohen, Jimmy Iovine, and there's a few others, and none of them look like you or I. And this, what we're talking about, Lil Nas and X and all the Cardi B's and all of them, they are nothing but whores. We got to go after the pimps. I'm going to go one step further, and boy, I really, really I love it. Let's get in I trouble. Just, <laughs> we're we're going to call this Jason and Curtis gets in trouble every week. But go ahead. <laughs> I got to be careful, but you just, I get in these spaces where I just can't help myself. The Nation of Islam. Okay. This is where I would expect them to be the most outspoken. And I've watched, because I went to the Million Man March. You're going to get me in trouble, but keep going. I went to the Million Man March. When I was in college, I got a regular shipment of Nation of Islam tapes. And, you know, I, I was, and so, and trust, I'm not going to defend Minister Farrakhan's anti-Semitism. I'm not going to defend it. Uh, And so that was my interest wasn't that as a young person. Uh, But but I just look and I'm amazed at the silence and the friendship and the relationship with the hip hop, gangster hip hop crowd. Virtually all of these gangster rappers it's the money. He's no different from anybody else, man. But go ahead. I, I'm gonna get on him in a second. But I'm amazed at the like the silence because if I can see it, I'm sure they can see it. Like, wow, look at this poison that's being fed, and look at the way we're being portrayed in music. And the silence is is deafening and baffling to me. 
And, and this is again why I go directly at us as men. We're cowards. Hey, look, man. I, I, I've often compared the black community to um, a victim of a gang rape, right? And after everybody's had their way with the black community, then we look up and we see black faces coming and we think they're coming to help us. And all they do is pull their zipper down and unfasten their pants and, and, and get their turn as well. Now, Farrakhan, right? You got to think about, he's the head of an organization. I don't care if it's a, a nonprofit, philanthropic, mom and pop store, corporate entity. Every organization requires money. So now, if you make your living talking, means you don't make your, your living creating, providing products and so on and so forth. Or the, you can't sell fish sandwiches and bean pies and print newspaper in the age of digital and support a, 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 an organization. He flirts with the celebrities for the same reason all the other activists, because at the end of the day, that's really what he is. He's an activist. Someone who gets on stage, says some things. Some things he says are, are true and make sense. I, I believe truth is the foundation of all things, even falsehood. So you will even hear some true things come out of Farrakhan's mouth. But nonetheless, he's playing this game where he's aligning himself with celebrities who are created and controlled not by black people. So he, he's relying on secondhand white dollars. That's not doing for self. I remember when he mediated a rap beef between Ja Rule and 50 Cents. Ja Rule showed up, but 50 didn't show up. So these two Negroes, both from Queens, New York, who are arguing with each other, calling each other names on songs, and the mighty Farrakhan has to intervene. And one of them had enough sense not to even bother with that foolishness. Look, man, that guy is a bag of noise and always has been. I, I'm not surprised by anything that he, that, that, that he does with celebrities because he is a celebrity himself, man. He just doesn't have the access to money like they do. You know, um, he once promoted a, a product called Chemron as the cure for AIDS. He held up the container and said, we have the cure for AIDS. We found it in Africa and we're administering it now in our clinics. All bullshit. It just completely disappeared. You know, it's just, and he didn't even know. Somebody told him what to say. He's a spokesperson. He's a front man. And in my opinion, the nation of Islam is outdated and pretty much just a grifting organization. They're in Chicago. You're talking about celebrities. Look at all the shootings that's going on over there. If he had any real influence in the black community, he could put a stop to that. He can't. It's all smoke and mirrors. Nobody gives a damn about him. They only listen to him when he, when he champions their cause. If he tries to implement anything 
like you guys need to stop the killing and all that. You know, the, the nation of Islam used to be fearsome under Elijah Muhammad. But once he died and his son Wallace took them orthodox, that apparatus that would show up at your door and drown babies like they did in Washington, D.C. with uh, Khalis Muhammad, who converted Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, they did that to his family because he spoke ill of uh, Elijah Muhammad. That kind of fear, if those guys told those kids in Chicago to stop shooting, oh, yeah, yeah, take it easy now. But now it's just all rhetoric uh, by my newspaper. At the end of the day, he's a celebrity and he's not even an A-lister. I wouldn't even give him B-lister. He might be an F or G-lister. Can't dispute anything you said. Just, you know, as I'm very transparent on this show, I went to the Million Man March and inspired man. And, and for years called it one of the great moments of my life. Because I, I really did leave there feeling like as black men, we were about to do something. We were about to take responsibility for our destiny. I went with maybe six to 10 of my best friends from college. We caravan. Again, we were out of college at the time, but we caravaned up there and I really did. I, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think at that time, I can't even remember the year. Was that 94? 95. Uh, 95. Yeah, I remember uh, it well. October you know, 95. I, yeah, yeah, you're right. Because I was at the Kansas I was making decent money. And I can remember stuffing a bunch of cash. They had trash bags, collecting money. And of course. Yeah. Stuffed as much money as I could into that. And, and, and he like talked that. for about two hours. People were he leaving did. while he was talking. Because he, he and, had to keep getting the money. He had to keep getting the money. I don't know why he talked for two hours, but I will <laughs> say this. It was one of the Literally, that, that was my other takeaway. I loved it up until the point he started talking. Correct. I loved the Million Man March. It's one of the worst speeches I've ever heard. And in retrospect, when I look back, I was like, oh, man, that was actually the beginning of the end. You know, the Million Man March was his ascendance and reached. And then as soon as he started talking, because I, I can remember, I was like, man, I think Martin Luther King spoke for like 12 minutes. Or Yeah, when something. you got something to say, it don't take long. <laughs> yeah, it don't take two but hours. When you're trying to raise money, though, you want to drag it out, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, that was, I haven't, you know, that was, I was young then in 94, 95. I'm still in my mid-20s or whatever. And, and ever since that, I started creeping back more towards my Christian founding from my grandmother and just, um, and, and so I, I guess, I don't even know why I brought it up because I'm probably more like you where I, I'm like, man, that thing was a hoax. And uh, Look, I, I, like you, Jason, I was, I was into Firecon. Um, not so much the ideology, because what they don't talk about publicly is what they really believe as far as um, spiritually. You know, 13-foot men on Mars, the mothership. He did mention the mother plane in that speech and compared it 
to the spaceship in the movie Independence Day, which had come out around that time, you know, and saying that the, the dimensions were the same as what the, you know, um, Honorable Elijah Muhammad said and all that. But what stood out to me was that he didn't say shit that had anything. I specifically remember him mentioning the Washington uh, Monument as being 1,555 feet tall. And, and that's because uh, the first slave was taken to America in 1555. A whole bunch of what I call psychobabble mumbo jumbo that don't add up to nothing. That sounds really smart and, and intelligent to stupid people. That, you, you know, it's just a bunch of words and where is this shit going, man? Like, I, I will give him credit at 84, 85, he looks fantastic. You know, he's doing something right, but leading black people ain't it. Okay, so I think you're right. We gotta credit Elijah Muhammad for the success that the, because what attracted me to the Nation of Islam was like, they really did have some success at helping guys from prison transition into a better lane. I'm not going to say a different lane, but a better lane. They did. They did. And Can't take that I, from them. Yeah, I respected the hell out of that. I had a relative, female relative, who major drug problem, involved in criminality in a major way. She joined the Nation of Islam and was actually living her best life during the time she was in the Nation of Islam. Had nothing but respect for that. And just, it appealed to me again, just my nature of do for self and taking responsibility. I just felt like they were the only people at that time preaching that message. And I wish that we could get that message in the Christian church, uh, but we can't. And so I brought up Farrakhan, but again, th this whole discussion we've had about little Nas X, the 13 and 15 year old girls in DC and, and just the breakdown in family. The, the, the black church, black religious leaders, they won't even take on any of these issues. Talk about the rebuilding of the black family or even raise legitimate objections to like- Do you know why? Why? This the same the same it's the same issue with Farrakhan, with celebrities, with any activist leader, any black politician. They really don't want to run the risk of exposing how little influence they have in the community. You see, you know when you have influence because you can say something unpopular. And, and maintain your position. Their popularity comes, and I'm talking about all of them, these so-called black leaders, their popularity comes from simply reiterating popular talking points. That's it. They articulate for the degenerates in the community, the things they cannot articulate eloquently for themselves. So that's, the, that's their hustle. Like what's your issue? You're having babies at 15? Well, let me use my intelligence and my education to justify or at least, you know, absolve you of any responsibility whatsoever 
and place that blame somewhere else. And blame, the easy route is to always find, you know, white supremacy is the blame. And, and, and let me say this, I'm not letting white supremacy or racism off the hook. I just deal with what I can fix. And the things that I have power over are the things that I do and the choices that I make. It doesn't mean any of the other factors are unreal, but how I let those things affect me is up to me. And that's the conversation none of these people have the balls to do because they'll switch that into saying that, you know what, this is victim blaming and so on and so forth. I don't call it whatever you want, man. But if we're going to write this ship, we're going to have to hold ourselves accountable. And only then will we be able to take on the forces that are working against us from outside. Until then, as long as we play this game, like, you know, if somebody else did this, I would be embarrassed to, to even concede that other people have so much power and influence over me that I can't do anything about it. That is the pinnacle and epitome of weakness. And that's what we have. People who want sympathy from the same people they blame for their exploitation. It's, it's if people could just understand that the real battle is with the man in the mirror. And that that's, I, I see all of this woke shit as an avoidance of dealing with the man or woman in the mirror. And if you really, you know, it's why I, as I get older, I just keep leaning into my Christian values and my understanding that like, if you're really a Christian, you understand that the battle between good and evil resides within this person right here. Absolutely. And, you know, thinking that you're so pure that you're going to go clean up another man and clean up the thoughts in his head. And that once you do that, then your life is going to improve. It's crazy. And again, and it's like, it, it would be the equivalent of me saying, well, Curtis weighs 235 pounds. 250. Okay, 250. <laughs> Let's say Curtis weighs 250. If Curtis slimmed down to 235, yes. my life would be better. <laughs> no, it wouldn't be. Curtis's life would be better. Facts. I, I, if I lose weight, my life improves, not Curtis's. And so while you running out, oh, let me go fix the white man from being prejudiced. You actually working on improving his life, not yours. That's what we can't seem to fathom. And I, you know, that's why we keep having these conversations every Tuesday. Look, uh, <laughs> speaking of weak leadership, right? Yeah. In, in, in Baltimore, they will no longer prosecute drug possession, prostitution, and low-level crimes, right? And, and, and again, I am not an advocate for incarceration nation. I am not. But you have to have a better solution than just not making it illegal anymore. Because 
the the human damage that these people are doing to themselves. How do you address that? How do you address the homelessness, the birth defects, all of these things that that happen when people use these drugs? What what, what are we gonna do? Are we gonna give everybody UBI, um, free housing, and let them buy legal drugs with the UBI, which is universal basic income for people listening who, who don't know, and the stimulus money. Let, let me say that. Everybody know what that is. Well, so you're going to take your stimulus and just buy drugs and, and do what all day? Like, what is the human price in not helping people be the best that they can be? What What, what is that? Make it... Every, go, go ahead, Jason. Every society has to have some sort of standards. Yes. There, there's there's lines you have to draw and we just keep redrawing the lines and say, hey, just legalize everything. Let people do whatever they want. And there's a cost of not having standards. Apply it to anything. And again, I always like to use myself as an example because I don't want anybody to think that... Uh, you know, I'm free of sin or I'm some perfect person is making all the right decisions. But when I lower my standards on the women that I date, mm. I pay the price for that. Mm. There's always been a penalty for that. And when I, elevate, when, when, I, <laughs> when I elevate the standards of the women mm. I date, I benefit. It's, it, I've always benefited from that. And so we think that just lower the standards will fix things. And so, uh, listen, I, I've, I, Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow, one of the most powerful books I ever read. I consider her a hero and, and I understand mass incarceration. I've written about it as a sports writer. I've done more work as it relates to mass incarceration as a journalist and any sports writer in the history of America, I get it. I don't, I agree with you. The solution though, isn't like, hey, let's just legalize all the drugs because I also have seen the damage drugs do to a family up close and personal, up close and personal in the realest way. Family members I love ravaged by drug use, their kids damaged by drug use. And, you know, as it, all of this stuff, when, you know, we're not going to prosecute prostitution. What about human trafficking? And, you know, women being shipped into America and controlled and pimped out and exploited and, but, you know, once you start legalizing everything, uh, you're just setting yourself up for, to create more victims, more exploitation, more unintended consequences. And so, you know, I, I think that in Baltimore, and again, I'm a big fan. I don't know if you ever watched the TV show, The Wire, but it was mm -hmm. basically an examination of Baltimore politics the drug war, the police, and and criminals, and uh, 
it explored all of this and it, it was based in Baltimore and it was done by a former cop and a former police reporter for the Baltimore Sun. And so all of the these solutions and with the mayor, whoever done come up with this, they're just trying to play games with stats. I think so. And use the stats to and elevate lies. their political career. And lies. And, well, yeah, numbers certainly can lie. And so that that's what I see here is like, man, they, they, they made a TV show, the best TV show in the history of America about the bullshit this woman's trying to pull. And <laughs> you can go watch that TV show and see the results. Mm. Oh, now, now tell me, what are your thoughts on this, uh, this Tamika Mallory Cadillac commercial, this, this girl power thing, you know, there was no I, men in that commercial, were there? She said, you know, we're taking over or we're taking control that black women are going to make this nation better. I mean, it was everything that the mainstream media or corporate authoritarian media that I love to talk about. It's everything they've been promoting. Um, shit, the last 50, 60 years is that the single black woman uh, divorced from men or uh, uninhibited by men are going to improve the world. And, you know, I said this, I think last week, or I know I said it to somebody. The reason I don't believe in the matriarchy is because black culture has been dominated by the matriarchy the last 60 years. And it's a disaster. And the results to me just aren't good. And so all the shit this woman's talking about, you know, she said she'd been raised by black women and black women have always done this and that and blah, 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 blah. And, and I'm like, and it may be true, but is that the ideal? Well, what, what are the results of that? You know, that, that that's my, my, that's my issue. And, you know, Tamika Mallory, uh, grew up, I think, in the Al Sharpton organization. Oh my God! The National Action Network. That's who. I think she joined as a teenager because her parents were original investors in Al Sharpton. Second generation grifters. Okay. Yeah, and so I think her parents hopped on board with Al Sharpton at the very beginning, Tawana Browley beginning, and. She joined as a teenager, maybe 11, 12, 13 years old or something. And so, yeah, she's she's learned at the foot of one of the best. <laughs> <laughs> and now she, and again, to think that you would come out of Al Sharpton, an organization run by men or run by a man, and your messaging would be, you know, we got this. We don't need men. We're gonna take over everything. We're gonna control it. It's it's mind blowing. You know, I, I, I wouldn't vouch for I wouldn't vouch for Al Sharpton's masculinity. Uh, <laughs> he's um, you know that perm. Yeah, he used to be really good buddies with with James Brown. Started wearing his hair like him. You understand? Uh, uh, I, I'll have Judge Joe Brown on one day. Maybe he'll elaborate for, for the audience. <laughs> gotcha. But 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 anyway, uh 
Again, okay, these people are making their money. She's selling Cadillacs. Selling Cadillacs, that's not a bad thing, right? But being a black leader and perpetuating a false doctrine or being a black influencer, because that's what, I guess that's what they are. A leader is not the word they use anymore. It's influencer. And and sending people on, on, for the lack of a better word, a jackass mission is just counterproductive to the things they say they support. Um, Let me ask you this, Curtis. mm -hmm. These card corporations from Cadillac to, I can't, maybe it was Toyota that hopped behind some black girl three, four years ago that they said had earned a football scholarship. <laughs> the shit was all a myth. The, the, this black girl didn't play high school football. She was on a high school football team, but they were scared to let her on the field in Detroit. And then they come out, Jim Nance voiced the commercial and came out during the Super Bowl two or three years ago. One of the major car companies is selling this myth that this young black girl had earned a football scholarship and was a potential NFL player. And I'm talking, this was a girl that allegedly was a defensive back that ran I, like a I, five, I seven, it. 40. <laughs> now I'm not joking, ran like a five, seven, 40. And they talking about she's a potential NFL player. And so these car companies, major corporations, when have they ever, when's the last time? And maybe I'm just missing it. Maybe there's some viewers that can tell me. When have they ever put their money behind a message that inspires black men. I, look, man, not, NASA has a space camp for girls. Um, a, a, as you know, I'm involved with the, the Coleman Young Education Foundation in Detroit, and we're doing things for boys and girls. But um, Princeton has a, a camp in the summertime for girls. NASA, the space agency, as a camp for girls. The emphasis is always on girls. As a black man, I'm trying to do things for black boys and girls. But for some reason, there's a lot of money directed at black women. The Ford Foundation is giving $15 million to launch a philanthropic organization led by black feminists, and so on and so on and so on. And it's almost like a a reenactment of the serpent in the garden seducing Eve, the woman. You see, these women, they are, they feel special right now because so much attention is being placed on them. And they're being told that they're great and, and, and all of these things. And I'm not here to say that they're not great, but look at what they're being celebrated for. People don't realize that uh, Me Too, Time's Up, Oscars So White, all hashtags created by Black women, and they are celebrated for this. Black Lives Matter. Yeah, Black Lives Matter. What the hell is a fucking hashtag? If I was a Black woman, I would be offended that these are the things they are singling out as an example of my contribution to society. But instead, we have these these low-level, talentless people reveling in all of this buffoonery. 
And it, and what it does is when you reward a thing, you perpetuate it. So when you're rewarding mediocrity, the black girl who is on her way to being a scientist, a doctor, or whatever, she's like, hey, I could just make a dance on TikTok or create a hashtag. The day of, and, 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 and with the same stroke, they are disenfranchising and undermining black boys and men. So I, I believe the, the short play is to make women feel special for nothing, just for being women. And the long play is by so doing, making those women feel like they don't need black men and destroying the entire community in the process. That's how I interpret what's going on. And, and I don't think there's any other way to really look at it if you're looking at it from a logical perspective. Because they know damn well those hashtags don't mean shit. What they're pretending that you did something meaningful. You know, you created a hashtag. You created a dance. Get on TikTok. Be all you can be. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you're, I'm offended for the women. As, as, and I may be repeating myself, but why this is so obvious. And it goes back to a point I think we I made last week or whatever, but all the data says black girls are outperforming black boys in every metric. Better educated, better employed. It seems like they're saving the wrong people to me, but whatever. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The <laughs> people the, that need the most focus are getting none of it. And then we as black men and I loved your Adam and Eve in the garden. And it's like, as black men, it's like we've been trained to be afraid to speak up for ourselves and to say, hey, what about us? And to say, hey, we need things protecting black boys and celebrating and elevating black boys. We're so, and again, I'm not married. You're not married, and so maybe we are uh, the wrong people to ask. But I would love to ask the married black man with kids, why aren't you speaking up for your sons? Are, are they so afraid of getting crossways with their wife that they can't speak up for themselves? Because what, what? the silence from us as black men about what's obviously going on the emasculation of us and particularly those of us that have any type of religious point of view the hostility towards everybody's afraid to even talk about it and and we just keep saying like oh i'm a girl dad and i'm <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know it's all about my daughters right now and i keep asking these guys i literally well who the hell are they gonna date Who's your daughter gonna marry? Who, Lil Nas X? I don't think so. You want her to marry Snoop? <laughs> Good luck with that. Uh, I mean, who the hell are they? If they're gonna not, marry the guy that's writing the checks to the nonprofits that they goddamn create, that's what. Just like the little poet Amanda Gorman that was at the uh, inauguration. Super Bowl. Yeah, all that. Yeah. She's going to marry somebody 
who's in a position to keep getting her prime time for doing nothing. Okay? And they won't look like you or I, bro. And that's, and that's exactly what is going on. Exactly. And, and, and meanwhile, I look on Twitter yesterday and Sonny Hostin, I don't, I don't, I didn't even know who this person was because I don't watch The View. I think she's Sonny like, Host. Oh, that, that's a woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that either. Yeah, yeah. She's yeah, blasting. She, yeah, yeah. She's blasting Jimmy Fallon over some TikTok dances because he had a white woman on his show teaching him how to do the dances. And she's blasting him for not giving the black creators credit. See, this is the simplicity of the of what they focus on when it comes to us. And and it the old school conservatives would call it the bigotry of low expectations. It's almost as if they they don't believe that we could do anything substantive. And I think what it really is, is that they don't want us to believe that we can do something substantive. So it's always dancing and marching and protesting and hashtags. Uh, we, we were so much better than this just 20 years ago. I don't know what happened. See, and if we didn't have a reference point when we were doing better things, I, I, I might be like, oh, well, well Maybe, maybe this is it for us. But we are c continuously getting dumbed down as a community, man. And the standards are being lowered and lowered and lowered. And to the point where we're just going to be the helpless people they've always pr pretended and promoted us to be. I, I certainly think there's truth in that. And I keep telling people privately, like, look at this lane we're getting pushed in. Look, you know, all the commercial advertising, if, if a black man does get in it, he's emasculated. There's just no question about he's it. He's Van Jones. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Or uh, Roland Martin. <laughs> and he can't he can't speak up for what he truly believes. There's a script you got to stick to. Uh, it's, I, I don't know, man. I, 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 I don't know. Sometimes I'm, I'm just, I, I don't know. I don't know. The, I don't know the way out. Yeah, I, I don't know either, but I do know one thing. I may not be able to to reach the people pulling the strings, but I think the people at the end of the string who've been doing the dancing literally and figuratively for too long, they need to be made very uncomfortable. They they've been getting away with too much and and getting celebrated as if they're doing the community a favor when they're doing us a great disservice. The Roland Martins, he supported this. He tweeted that out about damn right about make sure these 
these uh, black dance creators get their credit, Jimmy Fallon. I, I guess he's a, you know, he's a, he's a fucking choreographer himself. I don't, I don't know what's going on with him, you know, but- uh, Remember when we, five, six weeks ago, we were talking about the ABC Soul of a Nation and they did a whole segment on a TikTok dancer that didn't get her credit. And, I, and this was the black experience and it, and it just, I'm, you know what my hope is, honest to goodness, and people, uh, like, damn, why, why are Jason and Curtis doing this? And literally, I'm just trying to create a space where Black men can talk. Facts. And, and where other Black men and Black women and just people can, like, see, like, damn, this is, this is how Black men actually talk. Because... I don't think our conversations are really that unique. Nope. They're, they're unique in terms of being given a platform. Being public, yes. Being public <laughs> and a platform. But the black dudes that I deal with, this is the conversations we're, yeah. we're having. And they're not all from the same perspective or point of view, but it's like, you know, my roommate from college, him, his, him and his wife came to town on Saturday. And we talked about all this, all of it. And it, it's like the media is set up to make it appear like we never have these conversations. Like we all you wear know? dresses uh, yeah. and, and yeah. cry like, like Roland yeah. and, and Van Jones. Yeah. And are all focused on, uh, oh my God, what do white people think? Or, can, how can we get white people to fix us? And it was just like, you know, I'm not going to call my roommate's name because I don't want to get him in any kind of hot water on the job. <laughs> but it, it's, it's like he, the next day he sent me a sermon from a minister in Indianapolis that was all right on point and consistent with like conversations you and I are having. And so People know, but there's just no place for them to gather and to have their point of view reinforced. Because I think people get it, but they literally, I have asked myself, I, I'll see the craziness over social media and Twitter and will ask myself, like, maybe I'm the crazy person. Maybe, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, and they're all right. And maybe the police are just out here every, you know, you see the shit over Twitter and LeBron's it, we're being hunted. I'm like, damn, I go out in these streets and I don't feel hunted at all. At I'm, all. Never, I'm never looking on my shoulders like, are the police coming to get me? And, and so i like, am I walking around in the wrong neighborhood? What? I, I don't know. And so I hope that, you know, people are listening to our conversation and, and even if you disagree with us, just having your thoughts challenged, I think is healthy and a different outlook on life and how we should respond to what's going on in the world right now. J Jason, I think the, the one thing you don't take into um, account is that you and I are, are kind of like, you know, 
I, I won't say unique space, but in a space not many of our peers occupy. And, um, and that is, just like you said, your roommate friend, you didn't want to say his name because you don't want to cause him problems on his job. I think Black people, especially since the Civil Rights Movement, have always lived within close proximity of white liberals, worked with white liberals, gotten certain opportunities from white liberals, be it in, in publishing art, the workplace, so on and so forth. And as a result of, of being in such close proximity, when we, when, we, when we integrated, we actually integrated with them and their morals and values began to permeate our community. And that's where things started going awry. See, they have, and I'm generalizing here, they have the resources to deal with all the fallout from their choices and their lifestyles. But for us, we just don't. If, if they have two dads and two moms, they can still send their kid to good schools or whatever, or the kid they adopt, I don't know. You know, for us, man, everything is always reliant on them. And that puts us, it's like a one-two punch. Not only do we have these defective morals and values that we've adopted from them, because we're trying to like assimilate into their world. And their world is very different from the conservative traditional background that black people have had. And once we started uh, you know, accepting all these different standards, it causes nothing but chaos. It causes chaos for them too, but they kind of have the resources and means to offset it a little bit. For us, we, have, we really have no margin for error. And we're being led down this path. And it has totally destroyed what we once had. Agree in, in, in particular, like just take the whole 60s drug culture. And, and, and then we got brought into that and just ran wild with it. We, yo, we and, got exposed to everything they did. That, yeah. We integrated into that part of whiteness. <laughs> yeah. Yo, and, and but again, and I, we're old enough now to see like, well, damn, they came out of that '60s deal, but when they got to be thirty and had kids, they just got haircuts and transitioned right on into the mainstream corporate world, and got jobs where that transition for us that hopped in bed the whole drug culture blah 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 it ain't just about get because now you because our neighborhoods have violence and are over police when again because they always the stats are clear white people black people use drugs at the same rate but their neighborhoods aren't as heavily policed because there's less violence. And so the police aren't there. And so we get all these felony drug charges put on us and you can't just get a haircut and transition into the corporate world once you have drug charges or any kind of involvement with the police. And so it's to me, it's always easier 
for white liberals to transition back into corporate America, mainstream America. Uh, maybe they got parents or whatever who can make it easier for them. And, and so that's why my alliances that I've been looking to more and more, it's not about white or black, it's more about faith, to be quite honest with you. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I want to align with people that share my faith. Not, oh, I'm not hostile to atheists or whatever, but, uh, you know, my values, the, the way that I want to, uh, you know, I've never been a drug guy. You know, I smoked weed when I was in college and, you know, probably in the last 25 years, maybe I've smoked weed five times. Not a big drinker, you know, probably drink 15, 20 times a year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not, I'm not, you know, then look, when I do drink, I, I have a good time. I'm not yeah. awesome, but I just, it's not my thing. And so I just, I like to be around people to share my values and, and, and my faith. And anyway. But you, I want to say something though, as yeah. far as those white liberals cleaning up. Do you know where, where white liberals always have opportunity and a career path? In addressing the dysfunction among the black people who sought to join ranks with them. The chaos that was created by us adopting their lifestyle and assimilating into their culture, now they can come back and be the experts at helping us get out of that. They're going to be our teachers, our drug counselors, our uh, correction officers, our, <laughs> our probate. <laughs> this, this shit is a cruel hoax on Black people, man. It really is. And and you know, people get mad at me. They can say what they want on Twitter. But if you run up on me, I'll slap the shit out of you. I still will. Without hesitation. Trust me. I really will. And, and I'm just telling the truth, man. I, I'm not, I don't get paid for this shit. No organization is funding me. I'm just, I just got the balls to say what needs to be said, man. And, and I, I'm grateful to you, Jason. Because standing next to you, you help amplify that voice, man. And I'm very, very grateful for that. You know, yes, sir. I think this was our best one. <laughs> There's more I, trouble in here than this one. Look, I hope we survive. Oh, we will, brother. We will. And, <laughs> and on that note, man, thank you for this. And uh, see you next week, man. All right? Appreciate it, Curtis. Okay. Share, subscribe, and like our YouTube channel to get alerts for new episodes. And stay tuned for SchoonTV.com. The media site is coming.